War in Israel, Day 9, Sunday, October 15th, 2023. We speak today with Hadar Green, 25 years old, woke up on Saturday, October 7th, early in the morning, to a massive attack and bombardment of Israeli civilians. Hadar was to be married the following day. Listen to his harrowing story of that day and the week that has followed. You may have seen him yesterday on Fox News. We spoke to him at length on Sunday, today, about so many things. Hadar and my daughter were on a GAP program together six or seven years ago. Who's counting? Who cares? She told me about his story and we connected immediately. This is a 25-year-old man. His composure, decency, clarity. I am in awe. Warning, we do discuss very explicit, graphic things in this podcast. It is not suitable for children. For all others, it is your duty, in my opinion, to listen. It's horrible. But for anyone who values humanity, decency, and Western values, make no mistake, you're next. The Jewish people, as always, are in the front lines. We're just the warm-up act. Somebody else is next. This is a war on the West. We are sharing this podcast openly, without any ads or paywalls. Please consider supporting us with a paid subscription. We are independent and need resources to bring you these stories. Your support is deeply appreciated, and it's also very important. At the end of this podcast, we have information about how to subscribe, or go to our website, stateoftelaviv.com, all one word. That's stateoftelaviv.com, and sign up there. Again, please consider supporting this venture. We need you. The Western world needs you. I'm Vivian Berkovich, former Canadian ambassador to Israel, currently living in the state of Tel Aviv. For now, displaced and based in Toronto, where I spent the summer, as I always do. Stay with us. Welcome to State of Tel Aviv. We have a really special guest today, Hadar Green from southern Israel, which is close to Ashdod, a city that's been getting absolutely hammered by Hamas ISIS over the last week. Hadar, thank you so much for making time during this extraordinary period to speak to the State of Tel Aviv. Thank you very much for having me and thank you for the so much support you've been getting us and and spiritually, diplomatically it's very much appreciated. It's the least we can do. You're on the ground. Tell us what happened on Saturday morning. So it's been a, a couple of bad days uh, for me, so it's tough for me to, to say it. But the story is not easy for me. But on a Friday night, I remember going to sleep. My biggest worries was who will sit next to who on my wedding. The seating arrangements, the food arrangements, all that. Vegan people, what normal people stress, a pre-wedding stress. So I, I went to sleep. Those Hamas people woke us up early for a Saturday. At first, I was shocked. I thought it must be 
the alarm system broken or something. It was a mistake. It had to be because it can't be that without any pre background or anything, they just attacked a, a stroke or something without nothing happening before that. So I woke up and I was shocked. And then there's just a siren after a siren and a, a mountain of rockets that I've never heard before. It was three hours of anxiety in the safe room. Listen now to the sounds of civilians in Israel being attacked by Hamas savages during the last week. Now, back to Hadar and the story of the morning of Saturday, October 7th. Unfortunately, my mother's friend also got killed when she tried to open the bomb shelter for her neighborhood. There are safe rooms in people's house, but older homes don't have it. So there are community safe rooms. She was 69, so it was horrific. And then I remember images, horrific images coming, uh, start flooding the social media. At first I thought, me and my wife, we thought it can't be, it must be some kind of psychological warfare Hamas is using or something like that. And then I've done a huge mistake many people have done and they would never forget those images. I've opened one of those videos and I don't want to be too graphic, but awful videos, awful. No, you know what? In fact, I don't want you to be too graphic, but I also do because people need to hear this and they need to see this. I don't want to hear it from anyone after, oh, but we didn't know. I heard many videos, but the ones I saw is of maybe a 10-year-old or something who was very young, wearing a yellow Under Armour shirt. Looks like a normal kid, like the next door na- neighborhood kid. You can see him struggling for his life as he, being, he, he was stabbed multiple times. And he's struggling for his life. And someone brought a hammer and started it. Yeah, smashing his face to death a few times. I've done the mistake of looking at that. Like many others, it's trauma for the soul to, to see those images. And then videos of rape, that I, I couldn't believe it. I just couldn't believe it. And then after a few hours, I received a phone call from my brother telling me that a few of our hometown friends, good friends, uh, people we grew up with. Uh, my brother is not so much older than me, three years older. We share many mutual friends. He told me that there was a big party down south and his friends are there. And they sent a location, a WhatsApp location, and they're crying out for help. And I was in shock. I, I couldn't believe it. And after us being anxious for a few hours, hoping for good news, we received the worst possible news. Back then, we thought the worst possible news because there has been multiplied very bad news that I don't know how to even rank them. Um, It's incomprehensible. It's in. Comprehensible. We cannot process, I think, exactly. what is going on. But carry on, please. My neighbor is an ex-elite unit. He went to pick them up and he saw them after they got executed. He took the three bodies. Yeah, some were, so he knew that they were all together. He took the three of them and went to Kaplan um, Hospital. I'd like to just pause for a moment here and make very clear Hadar and his brother had friends who had attended 
the outdoor all-night music festival in the desert. It is believed that the Hamas terrorists targeted that event, attended by thousands of young Israelis and foreigners who flew in especially to attend. They targeted it for slaughter. Slaughter and rape. They tortured and maimed, and they did it all with sadistic relish. They videoed their barbarism and then immediately sent it to Israeli civilians to terrorize them further. This was a sophisticated and well-organized and executed slaughter of civilians. We have confirmation that Iran supported this massacre. Hadar's friend drove to the site and retrieved the bodies of their friends and many others who had been so mutilated that they were unrecognizable. I just want to make sure that everyone listening understands clearly what he is describing. And immediately I realized, and I got a phone call from my army commander. He told me, that's it. We need you. We need everybody. Uh, my team grew tremendously from, I don't know, 40 to 80 in just a single day. The necessity for soldiers was incredible, something that our IDF never anticipated. I've realized I won't be able to get married on Sunday because A, I have to go to the army and B, I have funerals to attend. Wait, so Hadar, your your wedding was supposed to have been last Sunday? Yeah. Okay, so, Excellent. and you are, how old are you? I'm 25. Okay, so yeah. please go ahead. I had to attend funerals of friends. There were civilians, by the way, if it's not, like there, there weren't IDF soldiers at all at that point. They're just uh, peaceful, loving people that, wanted to go on a music festival and enjoy life. But yeah, I attended their funerals. The last one was on Wednesday. And then we've made the decision to just not give up, to live as long as we're alive. These horrific images and, and crazy times, they just reminds you that as long as you're alive, you should live and uh, not give up because that's exactly what they want us to do, give up. Those videos and everything, it's part of them hoping that we'll give up on life. So me and my wife have decided we're not going to give up on life. And thankfully, she has great friends, really great friends that arranged everything from zero to 100. Uh, we only went there to get married. We, we didn't know who's coming, what is coming, food, nothing. Her friends and our parents did some, but mainly truly our friends, best friends who've done everything for us. Also, they brought a famous Israeli singer, Shuli Rand. Yeah. He Amazing. Wanted. Amazing. He is, there is so many chassadim in Israel, people who do good things. Artists go, he goes from one place to another. After us, he went to his funeral home. And then he said he has to go to uh, make the Gaza border refugees. There are refugees. He goes to sing to them. So he was in a rush, but it was happy as possible. But just the craziness of it that was... I don't know how to even express it as craziness or yeah, surreal. This, the surreality of it. That's reality, the word I would jump in. And I wasn't the there. The reality but. of it was on our way to the wedding. The wedding was on Natanya. Natanya has the military graveyard in the city. So on our way, we saw hundreds of people attending a few funerals of soldiers who were killed. And I felt like we are in some way. We are making sure that the Jewish people will never 
cease from existing. Yeah. But that's, we got married. Many people came, people I've barely seen. We were there with you in spirit. And I love the fortitude. I love the optimism in the midst of this carnage and hell and slaughter, which is just, again, incomprehensible. Okay, so Mazal Tov, you're Thank married. You. Your wife's name is Gali, right? Gili. Okay, I was close. So Mazal Tov to you and Gili. It's Sunday. What happens after that? I'll have to go with the army. Unfortunately, my honeymoon will have to wait because I must go and, and protect. I mean, after the last week, you realize that you must protect your beloved home, your beloved people. I live about 30-something kilometers uh, from the Gaza border. My parents, we had a cousin that came from New York City to attend my wedding. And you feel the uselessness of being scared of life without being able to do anything. We sat in the safe room and you hear of so many terrorists coming and they went all the way to Ashkelon. And what stops them to drive another 10 minutes and come to your house? Nothing. So now the future for me, at least, is to defend this country and to defend life. Thank you so much for doing it and putting your life on the line and so many others, because without you, we'd be lost. You're still at home, though, right now with yeah. your family, with your wife. I think it's really important for people who aren't there and have never experienced war to try to understand, help people understand, what do you do? How do you wake up? How do you go through the day? What are people talking about? Yeah, it's, wow, it is. It's an atmosphere. Look, we've been in this reality for, I remember 2006 was the first time I have attended the safe room because of uh, a, a siren, but we've never had such my generation, at least, never had such horrific times in Israel and the existential threats so much out there. You feel it. So you wake up in the morning and you don't sleep well. You can't sleep well because A, you were worried about what? About sirens, about, about bad news. First thing you do in the morning, you watch the news and you're, you just get sad. And it's the 24 seven hours feeling of anxiety and sadness. But at the same time, at the same time, Israel has this special, unique, I think, unique ability to stand still and be able to have this atmosphere of solidarity and togetherness. Before Shabbat, before my Shabbat Satan, there were people out on the porches, yelling the tikva, screaming. I'm not, I'm not talking about few, hundreds, even thousands. The whole neighborhood in Netanyahu was screaming the, the tikva and Amasai Chai and all the songs that we grew up on, us being Jews in Israel, Israelis in general. It's not about Jewish or Arab. It's about being a human being or not. That's how I view it, at least. I agree. So it's just it's anxiety on one hand and on the other hand, this feeling that we are together in it and we will win. We must win because it's a nation that has been through the worst of the worst. We've been through the Holocaust. And I, I, I went to Auschwitz and I couldn't understand the size of the strategy. After the Holocaust, people came on boats to Israel. The first thing they did is to take a weapon and go and fight in the independence war. And that's the Jewish people. We, we are survivors. Uh, we know how to survive, and that's the atmosphere here is again. We have no choice. So, Hadar, we're speaking. It's 1130 
At the moment, I happen to be in Toronto, which means at 6.30 p.m. in the evening on Sunday in Israel. Tell me what you did just before we started to speak here. Where were you? I was at another friend's, unfortunately, the fourth funeral I have been at. Another friend. He was missing, not missing, he was unrecognizable. He, they couldn't recognize him for a week. And I, I appreciate that you're being euphemistic and wanting to spare people the gory details, but what we are hearing and seeing is reports of widespread rape of women, some beside their friends who have been murdered, and then they're slaughtered, the women. We're hearing reports of babies being beheaded. We're hearing reports of children, like the one you told us, being slaughtered in the most vicious, sadistic ways. Children seeing their parents murdered and then taken hostage. This is the level of sadism and barbarism people on the ground, like you, have to process. Yeah, it's, it's scary to think that we, I must say, me, like many other liberals, I think, around the world, are shocked as we thought that we don't know this kind of behavior because it, it doesn't seem a reasonable and we just, it's unfamiliar. The level of cruelty is unfamiliar to us. So I think that me and many other Israelis thought that there is some common sense in those Hamas terrorists are in shock and in, in a deep sorrow situation because we thought that I was very, I'm always optimistic. And sadly, now I'm less and less optimistic about the situation with Hamas being in control in Gaza. So it shocked us and I'm wordless. It's, I'm wordless. I am. I must say. And many others are. Your parents, I assume, remember the 1973 war, which was a, another very existential moment for the state of Israel and its survival. What have they been saying? My parents... I do remember it, and at, right when it happened, they said, it's worse. Why is it worse? Because... You mean right when this happened? Yeah, right when yeah. this... They said, yeah. 7th October 2023 is worse than 6th October on 1973. And why is that? Is because they've targeted civilians. You can understand, in some way, cruelty, which I can't, because I've, I was an IDF soldier never got a, a command to be cruel or something like that, or even vengeance. People are talking about vengeance now. We don't seek vengeance. We don't. We seek our lives. We don't go into Gaza and seek vengeance. We don't, which is important to say. But back to 1973, they've, said they've targeted uh, soldiers. It was an army against an army. And as sad as it is, many soldiers died. But me as a soldier, as I know, that's our, it's sad to say, but that's our role to defend the civilians. But on the other hand, now targeted civilians and not only civilians, this level of cruelty came from it's targeting kids, babies, elders, senile grandmothers, people with Alzheimer's. What is that? We don't know such a thing. We've never met this level of barbarism before. A couple of things that I've read that many of the Hamas terrorists who infiltrated Israel a week ago, last Saturday morning, the day before they had been working in these kibbutzim, in these moshavim, side by side, 
And they intentionally went to the places they knew well and looked in the eyes of people with whom they'd worked the day before and slaughtered them. It's unforgivable because me and again, many others Israelis, we thought that we should work as hard as possible in order to give a better, and we still, optimism is not dead yet. It, it would never die because if it died, then there's, there's no existence. In my opinion is if we, at the end of it, at the end, there's a need for something major to happen. It will happen. But at the end of it, we still seek for peace. So it's important to say, I've thought that with 200,000 uh, uh, work permits in Israel and with money being transferred from the EU and Israel, Israel is not perfect, but we've done uh, major things to hold Hamas, uh, which was a huge mistake. Now we find out, but... We thought that giving them the opportunity to live better will result in us being safer and them happier, which is a win-win situation. But it blew in our faces. As he said, people mm -hmm. who work in Israel, know their way in Israel, went to the kibbutzim, which they work as in agriculture with people who do agriculture in Israel, and they've murdered them, they've butchered them and their families. And it's just heartbreaking. The other thing that we are hearing from multiple reports, and it's actually been confirmed with hard evidence, is that many of these uh, Hamas terrorists entered Israel with written instruction of specific settlements, specific schools, specific youth centers to attack and to murder as many innocent children and civilians as possible. Again, consistent with what you guys are hearing? Yeah, totally. I mean, there are evidence, maps of the kibbutzim. My friends, survivors from that party said they fired rockets at them for about an hour and a half before terrorists came. Um, rockets uh, at, at such uh, consistency being shot at the same place, it's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence. It's, it, they've targeted the civilians. They've knew about this party. They've known this kibbutzim. They had maps of kibbutzim. Why would they go to kibbutzim? There is no reason to go to kibbutzim. Unfortunately, there are enough bases there and they could have I don't say, I mean, it's it, it, like, lightly speaking, but there are enough bases there that could have raided and do things on it, which again, I'm not saying it lightly. Soldiers' lives are important, but they specifically went to these kibbutzim. They specifically went to these households, burnt their houses. It's no coincidence. It didn't come out of coincidence. It's not people who came there and by accident done a couple of bad things. It's, it, it was their intention and, and plan. It was a very well-planned and, I'm oh. sorry to say, executed and sophisticated operation. And none of us want to do this now. There will be a time for this. But I know that for all of us, the most horrific aspect of all of this is the fact that the IDF was... Nowhere. Nowhere. The IDF concept wasn't there. There were soldiers there who also got totally surprised. But from people, from my friends who were in the unit, some of them died. They just took their weapon and they went, them and another two friends, and they went to the kibbutzim to try to save lives. But the concept of the IDF, the organization itself wasn't there. The Air Force wasn't there. The, the organization, which is our advantage against Hamas, wasn't there. There was many individual heroic stories that will be told about soldiers and even people, kibbutzim members who hold guns and who protected 
they're beloved and there are many stories about it. But yes, the IDF, it's true to say, and it's precise, the organization itself, the concept uh, that it held uh, in the Gaza border, it just collapsed like a tower of cards. And I never thought that 50 years after Yom Kippur War, the same conception hit us again, our arrogance against our enemies, constantly belittling them, not seeing their threats as legitimate or standable or nothing. is nothing. It happened again. It happened again. It happened in a far worse way. And as you and I both know, and many people in Israel know, and the IDF command and Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu know that most of the active duty soldiers were in the West Bay protecting settlers because they have been inciting violence. But we'll leave all that for another day. But I really think it's important to get that out there. They left you people on the southern border with Gaza as sitting ducks. They did. And, and they, that is a shame on the government, a shame on the IDF. And I'm saying it, you don't have to. Now we have the lions of Israel, the salt of the earth, brave and strong citizens like you getting out there to do the job and get the job done. And on behalf of not just Jewish people around the world, but all people who value humanity, decency, and ethics. You guys are the front lines for Western society. And I thank you for it on behalf of many who don't have a voice. Thank you very much, Vivian. Hadar, please get out there, do your job, do your best to stay safe, and I know you will, and get home to your beautiful wife and live your life. Let's squeeze those lemons every day and make lots of lemonade. Totally. Stay optimistic. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the State of Tel Aviv and Beyond podcast. We'll keep the dispatches coming as frequently as we can. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment, rate us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. You can check out our full library of articles and podcasts at our website, stateoftelaviv.com. State of Tel Aviv is an independent media venture, and we rely on subscribers to support our work. If you are not yet a paying subscriber, please consider taking the plunge today. Each person really does make a huge difference, especially in these very challenging times in Israel. It is important that you stay informed and current and seek out a range of perspectives. This is a pivotal moment in Israeli history. It is not a time to be passive and disengaged. Thanks for sticking with me to the end. I'm Vivian Berkovich, signing off from deep inside the state of Tel Aviv.